Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Law of Attraction Roundtable. I'm your host, Gary Temple Bodley. And today with me is my friend, Matt Cohn. Hi, Matt. How are you? Doing great, Gary. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by on your worldwide book tour <laughs> as the release of your newest book, Relax, Nothing is Under Control, Musings by Madhu. Madhu? Madhu. 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 Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So I read this book as it was being like channeled or as it came out because mm. you sent a series of, of uh, emails and posts on Facebook and stuff. And so I read the whole thing as it was coming out and I, I couldn't wait to get it every morning to see what, <laughs> what we're going to talk about next. So it's totally cool. Thank you. So yeah. you came from a tech background. Yes. And so you lived in the normal life. You had a family, you had all this normal American stuff. You were successful. How'd that go? It was great for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then life kind of graduated me out of that course and said, okay, you nailed that class. Now let's try this class. <laughs> well, but you seemed from my perspective that you went certainly the end of the marriage was, you know, was tragic, but then you went into this new life. It seems like, you know, I don't know, I wasn't there at the time, but it seemed like you transitioned into like this super brave life. Yeah, I mean, I, I give myself high marks for a rather quick transition. It took a while to catch up with the decision that I was making, but yeah. um, I mean, honestly, it, it felt like I didn't have any other options. I had already explored other options. Like I already been in a long relationship and that I, that I knew that wasn't going to make me happy right away. I, I had explored starting businesses and done those and, it, you know, getting busy starting another business wasn't going to do it. Uh, explored uh, drinking and doing drugs and that just wasn't going to do it. <laughs> so this friend of mine said, you know, Matt, I think it's time you go inside. And I'm like, holy moly, what does that mean? It scared the death out of me. And I was like, well, I guess that's what we're doing then. So it was, it was door number four. Yeah. And so what was the first <laughs> thing you did? I uh, went to Nepal. I went to so, go, uh, so you just like went to Nepal. Like you just, how did you get inspired to do that? I, I mean, the, the, the trip that I had scheduled to go to Nepal had been booked uh, months before I was going to go, uh, before the divorce was uh, told to me. So I went there intending to go flying and partying with friends. And when I got there, I was pretty sad, depressed. Things weren't working. You know, the, for the first time in my life, I wasn't getting my way. And I, uh, I met this guy in a bar. He said he had done the hardest thing he had ever done in his life, which I thought was climb Mount Everest or something. And he said, no, I went and did one of these 10-day Vipassana meditation courses. And my whole system had no idea what that was. I had never meditated for five minutes in my life. And I found myself off to a concentration camp for 10 days to learn how to meditate. Yeah, and, uh, um, <laughs> voluntarily. I guess so. I don't know. You know, like, you know, like along the way, there's an inner child that says, what the hell are we doing? And then the, the older one says, you know, trust me. And I'm like, so there was a dialogue going. I, I don't know that I chose it, but I did choose it. Kind of confusing points in life, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you find yourself in this meditation program. Yep. With people all over the world or? It was a... Well, there are centers from this particular lineage. There are centers all over the world. This is a rather small uh, place I went to in Nepal. It was only 40 sitters. 
um, half men, half women. And uh, so, yeah, there were, there were people from all over the world there. And so you get there the first day and they're like, we're going to meditate. And how long did you think it was going to be for the whole day? Well, I knew, I knew the schedule. Uh, I don't think I had really realized how hard that was going to be. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. The, the guy that told me about this, this retreat on the way says, you're really going to do this here. I should give you this uh, stool. Cause you, if you ask for a cushion at this center, they're going to give you a napkin. <laughs> so I, so I take a little meditation stool and the first morning is a two-hour sit. And, and 20 minutes into it, my heart was just racing. Like, and part of me was like, oh, good. We're getting enlightened the first morning, right? <laughs> and, the next, and the next thing I know, my nose hurts. Like, oh, that's strange. So after the two hours, somehow I made it through. I went and asked the teacher, yeah, my, my nose hurt. And, and he, he laughed and he said, yeah, you fainted. You fell on your face. Somehow you got back up. No problems. And then you, <laughs> and you miss that whole thing. <laughs> and so, so everybody's in, everybody's in silence. Nobody can do anything. And then the 10th day when we broke silence, all these meditators came over to me and said, you know, that, that first morning we thought you were dead and nobody was coming to help you. And then you rose from the dead. <laughs> uh, I yeah, can't was- even, I mean, I meditate every single day, but my meditation is 15 minutes. I can't even imagine two hours or all day or 10 days in a row. It's intense, Gary, but every person, it brings you to the line. And so the most experienced meditators that do that course, they all say they're at the line. And your first time you're there, you're at the line. Uh Basically the the line being, I'm a breath away from leaving. This sucks. I'm out of here. And experienced meditators go to that same line. Mm. And if your will and determination is to stay, you will stay and you'll have profound experiences. Um, about 10% of people over the course of the course do decide to leave, but um, most people make it. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So now you are done with this. Is your trip over? Well, yeah, I was there for six weeks, came back to the States to my old job, um, had my, one of my daughters living with me. And things started. I was actually left all that course in Nepal pretty happy and came back to the old life and got heavy again. So I made it about three months and basically pulled the plug, got rid of everything, took my daughter for her senior year of high school back to Nepal. And we traveled. Oh, wow. And, and uh, her older sister decided to bring a college friend and another friend. So I basically traveled Asia with, my, with four teenage girls, which that'd probably be a book right there. You know, <laughs> how to travel, how to travel Asia with four teenage girls as a single guy. Yeah. <laughs> and how long were you doing that with them? They went with me for six months. Wow. But that was 10 years ago. And I, I pretty much have continued on. I haven't really stopped. My kids have, they have jobs and houses and their, their lives are normal, but their dad has been traveling since then. What an experience for them, though, to take them oh, yeah. out of school and do that for six months. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. We, when they were younger, when they were eight and 10, we actually traveled for one year with them, uh, with their mother in a motorhome in Europe. And then we went to Southeast Asia for a while as well. Wow. So, that's incredible. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Okay. So then you, so now you pack everything up, and this is 10 years later, you're teaching. Um, levitation 
<laughs> in Nepal, which is paragliding, right? Yeah. Yep. And what inspired you to do that? To, to teach levitation? I mean, it's as a little, I mean, I, we kind of are joking here, but ever, ever since as I was a little kid, I have dreamed about levitating. I'm thoroughly convinced that the notion of the law of gravity is a conspiracy theory. And that if I, if I really do spend enough time, I could get over it, but it, it's a big commitment. I mean, literally you might have to go live in a cave for 10 years to be able to do it. And, right. But I, you know, but I'm convinced it's possible. I just haven't committed to it. Yeah. So there's this primitive form of levitation, which is you can use a paraglider and go off the top of a hill and you can sit and meditate in the sky for an hour or two um, underneath the paraglider. And it's, you know, it's primitive technology, but it's, it's pretty fun to teach. <laughs> when I was growing up in San Diego in La Jolla, there's mm. the cliffs over black speech. Yep. And we used to watch the hang gliders go yep. and, and how it works is you go off the cliff and the air current lifts you up and you can land on the cliff. But back those days with the hang gliders, a lot of them just landed on the beach and then yep. they had yep. to climb back up the cliff. Yep. But yep. in yours where you, now nowadays you go there and they just float up high and then land back on top of the cliffs exactly yep. yeah it's a lot of fun okay so how many like <clears throat> if you're over the course of say a year and you're working with say a hundred people of those hundred people how many die <laughs> zero oh okay good <laughs> it looks scary <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's so crazy. So if I told you, Gary, Hey Gary, I have a bicycle and I ride my bike in Seattle. You would say whatever. Hey, say, Hey Gary, I, I'm a skier. I go up on top of a ski hill and I, I go down about 30 miles an hour in the snow with these boards on my feet. You'd be like, whatever. Right. And I said, I said to you, Hey Gary, I'm a paragliding pilot. I'm using technology that's had millions of dollars of development in it. I go up to the top of a hill. I gracefully get off the air. I fly around for an hour and land on the ground. And there's other seven, there's 70 year old men and 65 year old women all flying around me. Somehow you think that's crazy. Right. And it's no. just, it, yeah. it's just, it's just not known that well in the States, but honestly, it's like riding a bike or going skiing. Well, I can't wait to do it. This is, that's my kind of adventure. I'd much rather do that yeah. than ski for sure. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's beautiful. Good. Okay. So you're, so when Madhu comes to you, hmm. where, it, where are you? Well, Truthfully, so I, I go into this, I fall asleep somewhere between one and three in the morning. I, I find myself sort of waking up and I've trained myself enough now not to fully wake up. And mm. it isn't as a visual dream, but it's more of like a really cool musing state, like a contemplation or things come to me. And for the purposes of the book or for, I mean, I sometimes can bring in this character Madhu and, mm -hmm. and, and have a conversation with him, but it's really me having a conversation with myself. I know that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's my higher self and my lower self having a conversation together. And it's, it's kind of fun to put Madhu in the equation at times. Yeah. And, and so that's where that comes from. Yeah. Well, the way it's written too, it's really playful, mm -hmm. you know, and I love the cover <laughs> of the book. Where did you get that picture? So the story is, this is in Nepal about my second trip. I walked into this little weaving shop and there was this picture on the wall, which is that picture on the cover. And, you know, things don't normally blow me over, but this picture just caught my, my attention. And I asked the shopkeeper if I could buy it. And he said, it's not for sale. 
and and literally everything in Nepal is for sale. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, really. And and for for three years, I would every time I was back in Nepal, I'd go in weekly and say, hey, is it for sale today? And, and one day in like 2015, he said, "Yep, I think it's time he goes home with you." Ah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Well, how much is it? And he goes, "You'll have to decide that." Ah. Which was. So I went for a few days and came back and paid a lot of money for a simple painting and took Madhu home with me. And, and that, once I had that in my room, I was able to kind of bring that character into my dream space. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's not a simple painting though. There's a lot going on in it. It is. It yeah. is. You know, it's, he's holding a bowl, but it looks like it's the world. Right. And, and mostly it's his eyes. They're just mm -hmm. such a combination of humbleness mm -hmm. and, and wisdom. Yeah. Right. And it just, his eyes are, yeah, I look at those and I, I myself feel much more humbled and at the end of the day realize I know nothing, but then I know some things. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've had this experience lately with, you know, 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 20 year olds. And remember myself at that age. And it's funny because they, they believe their beliefs so strongly. And I believe, I remember believing my beliefs so strongly at that age where mm -hmm. from this age you, and from what we know, you look back and you say, you didn't know anything, but yet you <laughs> thought you did. Yeah. And your beliefs are so limited, but they're also, you have this belief that you can do anything when you're mm -hmm. 18 years old, right? <laughs> right. So yeah. it's like this really interesting set of beliefs. You have a lot of empowering beliefs that you can do everything and a lot of limiting beliefs, but the limiting beliefs cause you to have this framework for what the world is and your place in it. So mm -hmm. the limiting beliefs make you feel safe. And the stronger you have, these limiting beliefs are, the false sense of security you have is stronger as well. And you want mm -hmm. everyone else to believe what you believe because you believe that if everyone believes what I believe, then this structure of reality I've created can make me feel safe. Sure. And so now we're, we're spending so much time altering that set of beliefs and questioning every single belief we have. Mm. Not that it's true or false, but is it limiting or empowering? You know, mm. this mm. is what to me, Madhu was doing the whole time. Mm. Madhu was mm. coming through and saying, you think this way, why do you think this way? Let me show you another perspective. Yeah. Yep. And, at, and at the end of the day, he says, but it's probably wrong, yeah. but, it would be but it would be beneficial if you explored it just so it deconstructs a belief you have. And then ultimately you can choose the one that feels the best. And even though that's not wrong, if it feels right, then hold that belief temporarily. Yeah. Yes. And feeling right is okay because we the, the whole point of all this is to get to this place where not fear-ridden, anxiety-ridden animals acting on urges to change conditions. We have to come to this place of acceptance, which Joshua, in fact, in the Joshua Life today was saying, that we want you to come to this place of absolute acceptance of yourself and everyone else and that your life is good and everything's working out mm -hmm. so that you get to this platform. But then there's going to be a train there and the train's going to take you to on the journey of self-discovery. Mm. And in that journey, you're going to realize how you've been behaving or being to create this life you've created, which is really very limited. Mm -hmm. Right now, we don't want you to think of it as limited as bad or wrong, just realizing mm. 
that so much, so much more potential is waiting for you if you push past the fear and come into better understanding of who you truly are, right? Yep. And yep. that's like, that's what this book is. It's, mm. it's, it's saying you're perfect as you are, everything's good as you are, right? There is nothing wrong, but what about these beliefs that you are holding on to? Mm. So um, the title is Relax, Nothing is Under Control. Right. And those limiting beliefs cause you to sort of feel like you have some form of control. And the scariest thing in the world is to realize, one, there is no need for control, and two, you have no control anyway. Right. Yep. So how do you work into this idea of free will? Yeah, it's a, that's the million-dollar question, right? And there's lots of friends right now. Um, I'm honestly lately I don't know is a great answer. Like, you know, <laughs> no, no, Matt, it, Matt, people it, are it, tuning in to get okay, the answer it, here. Sure. Sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, is free will an illusion? Am I actually in control or ultimately am I a puppet in the broader equation? And I think the answer is, is both, you know, there's it, my lower self has an illusion of control, but my higher self is actually the one that's driving it. There's a wonderful, uh, um, YouTube on, uh, by a woman named Teal that's, you know, F asterisk C, yeah, F, F asterisk CK, the law of attraction, right? Yeah, and fuck the law of attraction. Right. And she's basically, yeah, well, I, you know, I can't remember. I've done a number of these in which one's appropriate to say the words. So, but, you know, she's saying for half of the people, law of attraction works because their lower self and their higher self are in alignment. And for half of the people, it doesn't is because the lower self, it's the higher self that's attracting and the lower self, it's the puppet. And it's not getting what it wants because the two aren't in alignment, which, right. you know, Joshua would talk about is if you relieve the, the limiting beliefs, you'll become in alignment with your higher self and then everything's attractive as you want. Yeah. I, I, it kind of feels like that way to me where I think, yes, ultimately we have free will and ultimately we're choosing things at all times. And then there's times that we, for whatever reason, choose to not believe that we have that for the experience of what it feels like to not have it. Sure. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now you're getting deep. Um, <laughs> Joshua says, so imagine you're on a roller coaster and you're in the front car mm. and they give you a steering wheel and brakes, but they're not doing anything. <laughs> not exactly. slowing it down like, and you can't see it. I love that. But you yeah, get I'm to like, play with it all you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, this this um analogy keeps coming to me from Madhu at nighttime, and I don't know if this relates exactly, but if you had a, a lake of fish and you could go ask the fish, yo, fish, I would like to give you an experience where I'm going to take you out of the water, put you on the dock, allow you to bake in the sun for one hour. You think you're going to die, and at the end of that, I'm going to put you back into the water. And you're going to be the most grateful fish ever because you understand what it's like to be out of the water. But along the way, you're going to have forgotten that you asked to come out of the water because it's much more painful when you're on the dock. Right. And a, a lot of fish would say, yeah, because I'm kind of bored with just what it's like being in the water. You guarantee I'm coming back, I'll pop out, right? And so free will, ultimately, yeah, they chose that experience. But while they're on the dock, they may have forgotten that they had chosen it. Yeah. And then, then you actually just take them and cook them and eat them. <laughs> 
and then and you did them a favor because now they're going to incarnate as you know somebody that's going to eat you as a dinosaur and you know it just keeps going so yeah. <laughs> um i have this i've been playing toying with this idea that what infinity is mm. is living the same life as gary over and over and over infinite times uh, yeah. you know <laughs> And that's the first day of infinity. You got, you got, you got to, you got to, that's just the first day. Yeah. But, and every one of those lives is absolutely unique because you're never making the same decisions over again. So you get to explore it. But then again, every life has been lived already. So you're living over a life that's been lived over and over and over again, just for the experience of it. Now, leaning into this idea, then is where your free will lives. You can lean mm -hmm. into that, mm -hmm. even though it's scary as hell and doesn't seem to make sense from your perspective, or you can resist it. Sure. And maybe that's the free will that you have. I like that. That's a good explanation. Yeah, when I was, when I was a kid, I was really afraid of roller coasters. And mm -hmm. then this one time I said, what if I pretended I wanted the roller coaster to go faster rather than slower? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I pretended, come on, this is slow. Let's go faster. Let's go faster. And then it wasn't scary anymore. <laughs> it would have been fun to hang it would have been fun to hang out with you as a kid yeah i don't know we we, we have no perception of what we're like as kids you know my friend uh bruce who we were friends in ninth grade he lives happens to live half an hour from me we see each other all the time he's we're both 57 right and he goes my God, you were so confident in high school. I can, mm. when we met, you were like the most confident person I've met. You were so worldly. You just made decisions and did stuff. I'm like, no, who are you talking about? <laughs> that definitely wasn't right. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is one of your favorite stories in the dream journal? Well, the one that was the most controversial. So the backstory in this book area, like I had no intention whatsoever to write a book. This, I, if you had told me that Matt Cohn would be an author of a book a year ago, right. I would say it's more likely that the world would be walking around with masks on than me writing a book. Right. <laughs> right? Both, both came true. <laughs> it came true. So I was in Hawaii uh, doing some work actually when we first sort of met and this uh, teacher challenged me to do a daily dream journal. And then she said, if you want to make this, practice more potent, share it with somebody. So again, I'm kind of one that jumps into the deep end of the pool. I said, well, what if I post it on Facebook? And, and she said, well, that would be very potent. And I, I really have not been a prolific Facebook person. It's just, you know, there sometimes, whatever. So I've started posting these things and I kind of experienced some of the wrath of, of doing things on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, people are screaming at me for my dream journals. And I'm like, this is, this is a dream. Like, it's not real. I haven't even said that this is real, you know, but like the first post I had was uh, this guy came, the Madhu came to me in my dream and said, you know, if Trump gets elected, everything will still be working out perfectly. Right. And oh my God, like the people just went off on me. And I said, you know, the funny thing, people didn't even ask me, why did he think it may work out perfectly? They just, you know, they couldn't accept that. So, that was the most impactful one to me because I was just getting attacked and I'm kind of a person that likes to have other people like me and I'd ever yeah. stepped into the fire. And, 
And I was like, holy poop. Like, I don't know if I'm really up for this, but it egged me on. And the third one was really powerful to me in that it was the, the headline was, is, is Trump privileged? And it was an exploration of the notion of what privileged is. And, and in the dream, I kind of got these visions of kids that are grown up in families of love, taught about love, taught about support, taught about the world is for them. And then people that are brought up in, in homes where fear-based and greed and other things. And, and that has nothing to do with socioeconomic status. It has totally how you're raised. And in the dream, it was shown, you know, that Trump was raised by a greedy father. And I mean, this is just a dream. So it was right. shown to me that in that world, no, he's not privileged. No. And, then I, and then I have families in Nepal that, you know, their kids, they have nothing. And their family is so supportive and they just are well-trained. And like, that's a kid of privilege. Yes. At, and then at the very end, this has really happened in the dream, at the very end of it, and I've had confusion over what my first year of life was about. Um, and I was shown my mom and dad coming and picking me up out of the crib. And I woke up out of the dream crying. It was mm. just incredible that I, a reinforcement that I was raised in a family of love. Mm. And, and the response to that one was pretty profound. Like I have people, like we all have friends on Facebook, which we don't even remember who they were you know, writing me personal notes and just saying, you know, thank you for doing this. So it kind of like somehow made it from, that was the third journal entry. I somehow made it to 49 and I think it was kind of motivated by that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that was, this is this idea I've been, you know, um, becoming authentic means that you're going to put, have to put yourself out there and risk the three big fears, which are death, loss, and rejection. Mm. and we want to protect ourselves from rejection at all costs. Mm -hmm. But it's mainly because we're not understanding that it's not true rejection. They're just, right. in this case, rejecting an idea that triggers one of their limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. And we don't have control over their limiting beliefs, so if it's triggered, it's triggered, and they get to have that manifestation event and maybe see another perspective or go become more introspective. So by putting yourself out there, to put that on Facebook, where – it's amazing how timid people are to even make a comment on someone else's post because mm -hmm. they could get ridiculed or rejected. And that yeah. is like a core fear in all of us, but mm -hmm. it's really keeping us limited. Yeah. I'm trying to hide from that. So, so this, that's an amazing experience of, of then after those feedback, keeping going and keeping going. Yeah, it was, I was definitely being nudged by inner, inner guidance and self and like, you know, you, you, you're not going to back off of this. So I, I accepted the challenge and, you know, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was, I mean, you get the nice sparkler and somebody's happy and you see yourself writing, oh, I feel good, I feel bad. You know? But even that's just fun to have awareness of that whole experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I did, I wouldn't say I chickened out here, but after about 20 posts, I just asked anybody that had been reading these if they would be willing to get them an email. And this was right as the time that COVID and so forth was getting really hot. And it, it just started to feel like I'm having a conversation about everybody else is talking about this and I was talking about something orthogonal to it. It didn't quite make sense. So I wanted to make it a little bit more private yeah. or, or tar let's call it targeted. It yeah. was just more appropriate to do an email. So. When you look at the 49 
conversations. Mm -hmm. Do you see an arc? Does it it seem like it it leads you to a certain place? Well, I've been told the people that have read all 49 in a row is they get easier to read as they go along and that I sort of grew into becoming maybe a writer. (laughs) It was somewhere around 40 where I actually took a writing class. So I was like, well, if I'm gonna have a book out, this is when Emily said, hey, do you want to publish this? I said, well, I should probably take a writing class first. So I'd already, (laughs) Um, I I think, I I do think the last 15 of them have more depth than the initial ones. And so there was more coming, I was, something in me had me become more willing to be deeper, deeper knowledge was coming through. So the last, the, the last third of the book, I think is stronger than the first two thirds. Well, I think that it has to take the reader from wherever they are, mm. have them question their existing belief structure, mm. um, which that does in the first three ones, definitely. Mm. And then if you're sticking to it, right, then it, keeping going on that theme, getting more in-depth, mm. more depth, where at the end of it, um, doesn't Matu leave at some point? Doesn't, you don't need him anymore? No, he just at the end, I kind of say, hey, this woman wants to do with the book. Any closing comments? I'm going to declare this the end of the book. Ah. <laughs> and, and, he, and he basically says, yeah, why don't you title the book, Relax, Nothing's Under Control. And oh, by the way, everything in this book could be wrong. <laughs> I love it. That's the thing. We, we do not, Joshua does not want anyone to change their beliefs. There's nothing that you need to believe. If it resonates with you, it resonates. All it is is showing you that there's another perspective that you might want to take a look at. Yep. Uh, and so Madhu and Joshua are partying on the other side. They're having fun. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Hey, there's three friends that wrote the book and provided comments for it. The first one was uh, on the back cover. Quote is reluctantly likable writing. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is. Uh, yep. The second one is uh, worth the price of the paper it's printed on. and the third one is uh not everything in this book is wrong so (laughs) yeah not everything is wrong (laughs) now what's interesting is that emily who's in the boot camp had the inspiration to talk to you about doing it yeah that was a, a scary inspiration where she just said hey this stuff's pretty good and i said thank you and said hey you know, would you like to put this into a book and publish it? And man, the fear that ran through the body on that was, I was already in the fire and somebody was throwing gasoline on me, the situation. And uh, my response was, I think, surefineok.com, which which is a fun project I need to do someday where I've I've often had a war on the word sure, because sure means no, I don't really want to, but you're going to make me anyways. (laughs) And so which is what my ex-wife used to say when I would say, hey, let's go do this. And she would say, sure, which, which meant you're manipulative enough. You're going to get your way, but I really don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I responded to Emily when she said, let's make a book. I said, sure. Had you ever met her before? I, I've yet to meet Emily. We, we've got a deep, fun relationship, but we, I have a, on my book tour, which is hilarious. Um, I'm going to make my way to California and take her out to dinner or so. Yeah, that'd be great. With as long as you're wearing masks and you're sitting outside. <laughs> uh, so Gary, Gary, last time I was in California, when this all sort of happened, right? I went to this brewery that opened up 
and uh, as you entered the brewery, they were giving you a six-foot bamboo pole, and you, you had to use the six-foot bamboo pole to stay away from these guys. So that was funny. So this group of biker guys, Harley Davidsons, come in. There's six of them, and they, they give the first five guys the pole, and and the sixth one says, "Yeah, I don't need that. I'll just use my private parts." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's there's California for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, so after the book tour is over, what are you going to do? So, so the book tour consists of, I've, I've bought a sprinter van and I'm outfitting it to, I can't, tr it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to go back to Nepal, Bali or India for the winter. Uh -huh. So, so I'm probably going to migrate South and the book tour is basically go to a campground and put up a sign that says uh, book reading tonight, bring your own wine glass. Wow. And then, and then you know, I'll, I'll, pass up we'll pick one chapter of the book read it and then uh which is like two pages right right and right. then and then maybe have a discussion on it so That's... we'll see I, I did that with a friend of mine in uh grand teton national park uh last couple of weeks and we did five of them so it was pretty fun that's yeah. great so i saw the sprinter van and mm. you're going to take it to a place and have it customized with uh my my co-levitation instructor is MacGyver, and he has already done two of these vans, so this is his third one. And uh, so we're we're spending six weeks to finish it out. It's a mirror image of what I just rented out in uh, Jackson Hole. Ah. So yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, I, well, I I said I sent an email to my mom. I said, "Hey, mom, ten years of traveling. I think it's finally time I settle down and get a home." <laughs> And have my own bed and dresser. And my mom was ecstatic. And then I sent her a picture of the van. And she said, that doesn't count. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you said it to me. I'm settling right. down. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it does feel like it. And also, it's kind of like I'm normal and cliche. Because, like, all my friends have these. And I've been the one that's been moving the line. And now I'm kind of, you know, joining the tortoise club with everybody else. So, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Well, yeah, but still, it's still, you're, are you going on your own? Um, so this woman friend of mine had me take her, this was her first trip camping in one of them and she had such a great time. So I'm, I'm thinking about starting a business of, of taking women camping for their first camping trips. Yeah. And I'll be, yeah. And so I'll have a little website. They can schedule their week. I'll pick them up and you know, I'll break them into van, van life. And then, you know, that's awesome. Up. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. I think it needs you need a, an app for that, for sure. Yeah, well, yep, that's happening. <laughs> cool. Okay, so the book is "Relax: Nothing's Under Control" by Matt yep. Cone, C O N E. You can find it on Amazon, in Kindle or in paperback. Yep. And it's it's nine ninety nine, so it's relatively inexpensive. Oh. Tracy all profit, ordered it. All the profits from the book go to Emily's uh, Abundance Model Project. Beautiful. That's awesome. Cool. And uh, is there an, another book coming? <laughs> you, you, you know better than I do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I want to say as we're leaving is that this time when we're awakened at three in the morning is, is this time where we have closest connection to our inner selves. Yep. And if you're not doing a lot of thinking during the daytime, your inner self is like, hey, let's wake up now. We'll have a conversation. And then you can fall back asleep if you want. But you'll have all the energy you need. 
So don't worry that you're not getting enough sleep because you're getting exactly enough sleep. And this is higher level consciousness. When you think about, you know, interesting ideas, things you're passionate about, not the bills to pay or what you have to do tomorrow, but take your mind off of the problems and think about some interesting idea and talk to your inner self about that. And then you'll enjoy that conversation and you'll find you'll have more energy in the morning. 100% agree. Awesome. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate your time. Good to see you again. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.